All right. Let's see if I can remember how to do this. <laughs> Here we go. Welcome back to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm excited to bring you the developer behind the wonderful fitness app Happy Scale, Russ Shanahan. Russ, welcome to the show. Hi, Charlie. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much uh, for agreeing to come on. It's for those of you following live, uh, it's it's been a little while uh, since one of these episodes has come out. And uh, a little fun inside baseball fact here is you were actually part of my like original set. Uh, if you remember the the first week that I launched this show mm-hmm. before the pandemic, uh, there was an episode every day and you were on my list of people that I was going to have. And then Will Bishop snuck in there with his podcast, uh, Indie Beginnings, which sadly isn't still going. Yes. And he got an interview with you and I was like, ah, I guess I shouldn't like get Russ right away. Oh yeah. 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 That episode, by the way, is excellent. And I re-listened to that the other day just cause I was like kind of preparing or whatever. And I was like, man, this is like so good. Like I forgot how good it was. Uh, a lot of fun. He, he focused a lot more on, um, the sort of education part, which made sense. Cause at the time, yeah, I don't know if he was still in high school, but he was just out of high school. Yep. And that discussion was wonderful, which I'll link in the show notes, obviously. But yeah, so I've had you in my back pocket as like a, if I ever need somebody like in a pinch, I won't feel as embarrassed asking Russ. And (laughs) I never got quite to that point, but I'm really glad that it worked out because I'm actually really nervous about this episode because it's been so long, but just hanging out with you is fun anyway. And so if I have to throw all this out, uh, I'm okay with that because it's just fun hanging out with you. <laughs> well, as uh, the perspective of a listener, I feel like I'm a listener and participant in this conversation. This feels very seamless with like the episodes I've heard before. So I feel like we're right back in the pocket right now. All right. Good deal. So that that sweet spot of uh, pseudo organized casual conversation <laughs> with long uh, tangents. <laughs> Here we are. Here we are. (laughs) All right. Well, I guess to get started, um, I want to introduce everybody to who you are, if they don't already know. And so the three questions I ask everybody is, where are you from? Do you have a formal education related to what you do? And what was your career like leading up to Happy Scale? Sure. I am from Pennsylvania, and I still live here. Uh, Central Pennsylvania, the kind of more rural areas. I went to Penn State and I studied computer science. It was supposed to take eight semesters, but I did it in 11 because at that time I thought that like, uh, <laughs> like failing all your classes was like some kind of a status symbol, <laughs> so, but, but I kept going too. So it was a very weird thing, but yeah, I graduated with a comp sci degree from Penn State. And after that, I had several jobs in computer programming. And then I started doing Android development. And on this, I, when I was doing Android development, I really wanted to be doing iOS development. So that's when I started working on Happy Scale on the side. Okay. So you were, were you doing like Java or something before? And that's how you slipped into Android? Or were you sort of wanting to do mobile in some way? And Android was sort of your ticket in? I was working at a company, they make DVDs software. Made DVD software, I presume. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they had their work cut out for them with like navigating the industry over the years. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, that would be fascinating, but also probably brutal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this was right around the time Google TV was coming out in 2014. And they knew they wanted to get into streaming. 
So they were pivoting, and I was one of the four people that was making an Android ah. uh, product. So it was for Google TV, which was the name for their like Android on the TV OS, right? I think they've had a couple of them, yeah. Yeah, but... <laughs> there's been quite a few. I think yeah. we might be back to Google TV as the new name, but it's a different thing. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> could be wrong about that. I don't know. The, the Chromecast, Google TV, Android TV uh, shifting mm-hmm. around is... Uh, Google tries a lot of things, which is is fun. <laughs> yeah, they sure do. Yeah, I was uh, I got one of their like pre-release boxes to work on, and oh, that's some cool. of the company. Yeah, some of the company was making like DVD software and Blu-ray software on it, and I was trying to make an app for streaming to it from your Android device so that you could just like cast your content to the Google TV and it would play like a Chromecast kind of thing. Right. Well, that's pretty cool. So you were working on that, and. You just liked the idea. Did you like own an iPhone? Is that why you wanted to develop for the iPhone? iPhone was so much better at that time. Um, Not only was it like really, really easy to make animations Mm, using like core animation, which I thought was just, it was, it was so cool that I could spend like a night working and have like a little text box fly across the screen or something, you know? Yeah. Also, the tooling was much better. Back in those days, when you were developing for Android, you were using IntelliJ. And like when you would build, your computer would hang and your mouse wouldn't move for 10 seconds. And it was, it was frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, that, I experimented with Android a couple times back in my Windows phone uh, development days. And it was wild. Uh, just It was like a couple days just to try and get to a point where you could build anything to a simulator, which was like a whole nother can of worms. And yeah, it would bring my machine to its knees. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's come a long way since then. Yeah. So you, you, did you own an iPhone at that time? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I had my first phone was an iPhone 3GS. Okay. And had you done any like Objective-C Apple development at all? Or had like what stacks were you kind of living in at the time? Back then, I knew C and C++, um, some Java from Android, and I had .NET experience from a previous job. And so Objective-C was brand new to me. Interesting. So that was 2014. Okay, so things were a little bit more mature. You weren't in the like, uh, like proto, like we're just slinging things at the wall, trying to get something out there, uh, trying to get a UI table view to render anything at any reasonable frame rate days. Or was it still pretty early? I, you know, actually, I'm sorry. I started the job I was talking about in 2010. And so this was around 2010, (laughs) 2011. Yeah. It was still like the proto days of like, I still have code in my app that was written against like, like if iOS three SDK is available, do this. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So happy scale is very, okay. That's, that's very early days. Mature. Um, yes. (laughs) So I guess the, the motivation then was it was fun. You wanted to do something on, iOS with those tools that let you do fun like animations and something that just felt fluid and cool. What is it that led you to Happy Scale specifically? Was that like, did the Happy Scale idea come first and then you decided iOS or did I want to make something for iOS and then you're coming up with ideas and Happy Scale is what came out of that? That's a good question. Um, So it was when iOS came out. I thought it was so cool to have a computer in your pocket and I knew I wanted to build something. But the reason I picked Happy Scale was because when I was a younger man, I had 
Have you ever heard somebody tell a story that was like, I was a smoker for 20 years. And then one day I woke up and I decided I'm never going to do it. And I threw it in the garbage and I haven't smoked for 4,000 years. Yes. I'm right? always so jealous of people who have these, uh, <laughs> these epic singular moments that then somehow sustain for the rest of their life. Yes. Yeah. I, me too. And, um, <laughs> and I would say that was the way I thought all of life had to be. And so... I was like 300 pounds for a lot of my adult life, uh, about 140 kilos. And I thought that one day I would wake up and I would say, today is a day. Everything's going to be different. I, I'm never going back and it's all going to be perfect from here on out. And so I would, um, I'd be like two weeks into a diet and I'd be doing great. And then I would have like pizza. Because I went to a party and there was pizza. And in my head, like, I would say, like, okay, this is it. You just ruined it. Like, this isn't going to be your perfect story. Yeah, it's over. Might as well give up now. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Because it had to be the perfect story. And so I got to this point in my life where um, I was about 26 years old and I had never had a girlfriend because like that was another one of the manifestations of this is like, I didn't even want to go on a first date with somebody unless I was like, well, this is going to be the woman I marry because I wanted that perfect story. Yep. You know? So I'd like never dated. Uh, I, I, I tried like a thousand times to lose weight and I never could. And I just kind of took inventory of things and said, well, this isn't where I thought I was going to be at 26 years old. You know, and so Happy Scale was born out of me trying to learn another way to tell the narrative of personal development as a journey. And I wanted to make sure that I could bring some perspective into it so that I could stop thinking of these little fluctuations and setbacks and cheat days as like everything is ruined and you, you you just have to stop now. I wanted to make it part of the story and to kind of like be able to see the larger narrative of like, okay, maybe like one thing happened yesterday, but over the last two weeks you've done really well. Yeah. And so that's why I started building it. That's fascinating. That, that like perfectly encapsulates the things that work for me. Like I've never been mm. someone who, I'm not very streak motivated. Yeah. And I think part of that is the same thing of like, I almost don't like that pressure. And then once the pressure breaks, it feels like, well, what was the point of all that? Yeah. Yeah. And so I've almost always been anti diet mm -hmm. in principle for the same reason. Cause I've seen people do that. And I think one of the things that I, I do now and happy scale, we'll talk about in a second, like really strongly works into this is, uh, even a diet I look at as, like it's an experiment to try and get some new, like some small alteration to how I live my life. So the diet itself, I don't ever anticipate is going to last more than whatever that set of amount of time is. But if I can get one or two recipes or cut one or two things out of my normal diet, those are the things that I'm looking for that bend that curve, that long-term curve in the right direction. And it's sort of like this, it's not about I'm going to lose 10 pounds in six weeks and now I've lost that 10 pounds and that was my goal. My goal was really more mm -hmm. about bending that long-term curve that will last the rest of my life. 
if that makes sense. That makes sense. And that is a great way to think about it. So you're, you're kind of focusing more in on, uh, the small day to day changes instead of like the larger arc of like, this is what's happening. Yeah. Cause then it's less disheartening mm-hmm. when eventually your life catches up and you can't give all of your focus to this, you know, this totally brand new way of doing your meals or whatever. Um, because there's other things in your life that are priorities too. And so, yeah, it's nice to, to look at it as a way to tweak things when you revert back to the mean, um, as opposed to like it being really disheartening when you revert back to the mean, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. I think that, um, I think that one of the things that, um, it maybe people in an indie audience would understand is that a lot of times when you're trying to take on these hard goals, like there are other things going on in your life and yeah, you need a lot of flexibility to like, you need a really flexible mindset to be able to say like, <laughs> this thing came up and I didn't anticipate it, but I, and I know I need to make space for it, but like, I'm going to be able to get back to what I was doing before afterward. And so like, I, th- I feel like I've, I've been trying to adopt more of what you're talking about with this flexibility and just thinking of things as small incremental changes. So, okay. So the idea then was you want to make a fitness or health type app that brings in this concept of seeing your bigger picture progress, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So that was sort of the initial like thesis. And then did you come up with a certain feature that sort of everything grew from or was, was this, uh, which I'm sure you're going to explain in a second, the rolling average, was that sort of the initial seed? The rolling average average was a big seed of it. And, um, another one of the things that I've had from day one, which has always been helpful to me is progress is tracked based on the 10 day low. So if, so if you, record a weight today that is your lowest weight on your journey so far you basically have like 10 days to try to to uh record a new 10 day low interesting so the next day or the day after if you just happen to have a higher water weight or right whatever uh it's it's less disheartening because it's like you still have more time to to feel like you're making progress in that way. That's exactly right. And you actually don't even see it like in the, in the default configuration of the app, if you record a higher weight, you don't even see it anywhere. It's just like, you see the moving average line. You see that yesterday was your 10 day low. And we just kind of shift focus off of, I, I needed a way to shift focus off of collecting the data day to day and make sure that I didn't see a number that went up as discouraging. And so the app kind of, um, it just doesn't focus on when these little fluctuations happen. That's so fascinating. Okay. So to back up a little bit, cause I feel like I, I use your app uh, regularly. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a little bit in the weeds, I think, but to back up a little bit, um, I think there's a lot of different data and views and stuff in your app, yeah. but what we're sort of talking about, um, right now is the graph, which anybody who's recorded their weight has probably seen a graph of their weight. Um, but the big thing with yours is you have a line and that line represents a rolling average of your weights. So a single mm-hmm. weight isn't going to cause this big spike uh, just because one day you happen to have eaten a big burrito and then you took your weight right then or whatever. And then the another thing about this view that's interesting is you have 
you have lines that go up and down with little dots that represent mm-hmm. the actual the actual individual weights. And so what you're saying yes. is you won't see those like I've never actually even thought about what you're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you won't see those lines if they're sort of big outliers uh, in the up direction. Actually, uh, I I I personally turn those lines off. I call them the pin lines that draw up and down yeah. to your, like individual weigh-ins. But yeah, I I personally just keep them off because I like to just see the trend line instead. But yes, there are, there's like a a trend line with the average, the moving average, like you talked about. Uh, there's an optional way to go up and down to the different individual weights. And I've got some other ideas for things I'd like to do in the future because I think it's just so cool that you can give people a different perspective on what's happening with their journey and it can completely change how they feel about it. Gosh, it's so much of this app just feels like it's uh it has, I mean, we talk about indie apps having a, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not perspective, but a, a opinion mm. about how things should work, or whatever. And usually that's in the context of like a visual look or how you should use the app in terms of an email app should or shouldn't have an archive button because I think you should use email this way or whatever. And right. Happy Scale feels like it has that in the sense that the whole thesis of the app seems to be around its name, the perfect name. It's it's a scale that makes you feel better. And obviously you're not hiding data that would make you feel sad, but you're like, you're trying to surface information that makes the experience of watching your weight and caring about your health um, a more positive experience because the negative experience, while for some people might be motivating, for a lot of people definitely is the opposite of that. Right. And can cause spiraling. Exactly. Yeah. And even just the short conversation, I can hear all these little decisions that you make always come back to that same thesis. Yes. Yeah. It's so much about uh, the psychology is how I try to set myself apart. And I just built it for me because this was something I was struggling with. And as the app has like gotten downloads, I've found that almost all of the feedback I get from users about like what they'd like to see in addition to the app is about other ways to, they're not asking for like, um, the new iOS 15, you know, share what a share play feature they're asking for like, Hey, this is like a psychology thing that is happening with my weight. Could you change the app to kind of like help me with this way of like, can you present things differently for me so that I can track this or that? And I feel, I don't know how it happened, but somehow like everybody that is like struggling with the psychology part of weight loss is like, those are the people that end up sticking with the app. So like, there's a really good, I feel like I have a really good alignment with the users in that regard. Yeah. It's like fitness is, and we'll get into this in a second, but it's, it's a very crowded segment, obviously. Yeah. Um, and like many crowded segments, part of that's because the TAM is gigantic. Like all humans, uh, to some degree care about their, their health, uh, some more than others, but like, it's pretty much a universal thing. Yeah. And so like other things in that category, like to do apps, for example, you can have a million of them, but a new one that comes out that like has a specific opinion that resonates with similar people, it can create this, uh, I don't want to say fan base. Cause that makes it sound a little too celebrity ish, but like, passionate user base that it's like this clicked with me in a way that nothing else has. And it does change how people's lives work. Like, which is yeah, 
really it's almost a big responsibility but also must be like deeply satisfying yeah yeah and i love that's one of my favorite things about looking at other people's indie apps is you can kind of feel the the priorities and decisions that they the things that they value in life and like what are what are the, what are they trying to solve and what what's the perspective they're bringing to this problem and i think it's so beautiful to be able to see how like somebody might have a very specific perspective on things and maybe they completely leave out um a feature that other apps in their area would consider core just because like they have a strong perspective on the way it should be and it's really fascinating yeah yeah that's the great thing about these uh sort of mass market markets that's a weird way of saying that but like (laughs) because it's so big you can have these less generalized uh apps build a whole business around just that that core um and it's yeah it's really fascinating so yeah i want to step back a little bit and and go back to sort of the beginning of this so you mentioned a second ago that you you built this for you was the initial idea that you were going to put it in the store though or were you literally like this is just a tool for myself at the very beginning I wanted to put it in the store and I released it at 99 cents paid up front. And my plan was to become one of the app store gold rush millionaires and like be quitting my job after two months. (laughs) (laughs) So the idea initially was you, you want to make a business and uh, let the money just pour in from, from the internet um, and never have to, to truly work again. We'll get to how that actually turned out in a second, but (laughs) was there a sort of business plan or marketing plan at the beginning or was it basically just get it out there and everything will, will go amazing after that? It was a field of dreams where if you build it, they will come. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, we're making fun of, but at the time uh, it felt like a gold rush, right? Like it, yes, that wasn't an unreasonable thought because we were seeing, you know, uh, lighter simulator apps and fart apps make people millions of dollars. It wasn't like a completely crazy uh, a concept. Yes. And just to tie it back to um, what we were talking about earlier, it made it much more approachable for me to be able to release an app. If I could, like when Apple made the platform, they were like, we'll take care of the billing. We'll take care of yep. distribution. So you don't have to keep a server online, you know? And I, and I thought that, wow, they're going to take care of so many things for me. I just need to build this. And so it actually was a way that I gave myself permission to, to do this is like, I didn't need to learn to market. I didn't need to learn sales. I could just build this and put it out there and then just see what happens. And so what did, what did happen in the, in that first release? Did the (laughs) millions come in immediately? Uh, I had 17 downloads in the first five months and some of them, like my mother was one of them, my sister, me, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like, so I, I think I made about $12 in the first five months, which I don't, I don't want to like belabor that point, but I do think I like hearing that, uh, for things that I see as really successful now, because it kind of, I don't know, it makes it feel okay. Whenever a thing I do doesn't explode, I don't. Like, I think dark noise is sort of the opposite. I was expecting nothing. And for whatever reason, it happened to latch on. Um, But this podcast is almost the opposite. Like, Mm -hmm. as much as I told myself not to expect anything, I was expecting this to be like, I'm going to get these people on and it's going to be this thing that like grows really fast. And it's been successful by any metric I would have measured at before. But I started getting like lofty goals about it. Yeah. And uh, 
that can be disheartening. But yeah, I guess how did you handle that then? If if your idea was I I want to build a business on that, and pretty quickly it was obvious you weren't going to quit your job. How did how did that like go sort of mentally? <laughs> <laughs> At first, it was rough. I felt it was like a crashing sensation of just recalibrating my dreams. And I wanted to keep working on it because I couldn't stop thinking hope springs eternal, right? (laughs) I was like, well, surely this next feature is going to be what it takes to send it to the moon. So I, I, I just loved working on it. I had so many ideas for it and the passion is what really got me through it at that point because like I was building it for myself and I did want it to do more things. So that got me through that. And then after the five months, I was just like, well, I'm just going to make it free. And because I clearly like asking people for money up front, this isn't working. And then I, I started to get more like 15 downloads a day. And <laughs> it's funny because like after five months of just like a download a week, I was like, here we are. Like this is, it's happening now. Like 12 downloads a day. Yeah, they're not monetized yet, but like, I'll figure that out later. Like, I feel like anytime you can kind of recalibrate your, anytime I can learn to accept reality where it is and just accept my situation, that helps me to feel really positive about just a small step forward. And so I would always go through these um, transitions where like I had built up these big expectations about things and it may or may not have made a difference. And then I'd have to kind of recalibrate and accept where things were. And then I could be really happy just to take like a little step forward after that. Were you getting like emails by that point from, you know, real human being users that were sort of telling you that they're actually using it? I think it was about a year and a half in and, um, I probably really embarrassed the customer because I was like, you're my first email and like, <laughs> you're, you're going to go down in history. And like, you know, it's like, maybe like, could you please just tell me how to reset the app? You but know? how exciting so, is that? Like, oh, I don't know. So there's good. just something about when it's a number, even if it's a number attached with money, mm-hmm. uh, it's just a number. And there's something about that confirmation that it's like an actual human being downloaded this and is using it especially when they say like uh you know i actually use this thing regularly and it this thing broke and you're almost like i don't care that it broke if you notice that it broke like you actually use it Uh, (laughs) there's just something extremely i don't know emotionally satisfying about that uh especially like early on Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that's actually one of the things that I've always struggled with, with making apps is that you will push a button and it will go out to all these devices. And then you're just kind of like staring at your wall and nothing's happening. And like, you don't get to know like how people feel about it. So anytime I hear that feedback, like it's, it's really, it, I will take any connection I can get to the fact that people are actually using this in the real world and experiencing it. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it's easy for me to say that because I don't have a server. So I haven't had like a server go down and get like thousands of requests all at once. Uh, people upset, but mm-hmm. even bugs a lot of times uh, because my user base is small enough. I, there's a part of me that's still a little excited that it's like, you noticed it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
would it be fair to say you still find this app useful if you're asking me to fix yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you went through the trouble of emailing. Like I would, <laughs> I would just uninstall it. So that's exciting on its own. Um, so now I would say your app is definitely not uh, getting you know 15 downloads a day for totally free. So right. let's walk through like how did you get to where you are now? Where I would say you you have a genuine business going on and you are totally independent now, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, um, fully self-employed and like it's, it's in a secure place. And, and yeah, so the, the journey to get to this place was that after about a year and a half, I rolled out ads in the app. Um, I was a great platform. I wish they wouldn't have gotten rid of it. Okay. So I was there then we're in at, was that still the era where in at purchases were like only for very specific use cases? They had expanded it. And then I added an in-app purchase for like $3 to hide the ads. Okay, cool. And then I just over the years, I would take some of the features that I added and say like, this is going to be one of the premium features. Um, I raised the prices over time. I went to like $5 for a permanent unlock. And then, and then eventually in 2019, I made a transition to uh, a subscription model. So there's a monthly or a yearly, and there's currently a lifetime access option. And so I've migrated the pricing strategy over the years so that I could get it to a sustainable place where I knew I could be able to work on it for years to come. How was that transition? Like, you know, I'm sure you've seen all the stories of the horror stories, but I've definitely talked to people where it wasn't a horror story too. Was yours somewhere in the middle or? I was certainly nervous about it. Um, what I ended up doing was I decided to grandfather anybody who had bought the one-time purchase before the transition. I, I would say like, you're going to be lifetime unlocked. And, and so I would only present the new pricing model to users who had downloaded the app for the first time after the transition. And in 2020, I had like a grace period where like all the people who started using the app before the transition had an opportunity to upgrade at the one-time price. And then at the end of 2020, I put a banner in the app and I was like, this is your last chance to upgrade as a one-time unlocked. And a lot of people jumped on that opportunity. And then in 2020, I decided to uh, transition so that everybody was using the new pricing model. Okay. So you, you like feathered it kind of. Yes. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. So how was the reaction to that? Did you get many angry people? No complaints. Well, that's, that's a pretty big endorsement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, people didn't mind the new pricing model. I, I don't know if I've ever gotten a complaint about it being a subscription and there a couple of times I'll hear from people who are on the old plan and they'll, you know, say that they were grateful for the grandfathering policy, but otherwise it's been, it's been pretty smooth. And I, I, uh, had a lot of like mental anguish about that change. Um, Oh and, yeah, I imagine. Yeah. So, um, I was, I was really relieved to know that all of the time I had spent ruminating about it was maybe you know, time that wasn't that well spent. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, maybe it helps you, uh, you come up with a plan that, uh, yeah, that helped keep it from becoming a problem. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that, that was kind of your, your change in business model, which I, I'm just going to guess has sort of the same story as most, which is switching to a recurring revenue model just makes everything a lot smoother and makes it easier for you to, uh, to keep pushing out 
products and not have to make these big giant releases that you have to market to everybody to try and get more sales. Yes, that's right. I, I, I very much rely on Apple search for all of my new leads right now because I was never able to afford any other kind of, um, like marketing, like buying ads and stuff like that. It just wasn't cost effective. And so I always felt that it was, um, a real viability of my business that I relied so much on Apple and the search algorithm. And so, uh, now that I, now, now I feel like I have, uh, a little, a little more cushion where like, even if something that I am kind of counting on, but is out of my control were to change, I would have some time to be able to figure out what to do about it. Right. So when you say search or Apple search, you're meaning literally the search or do you mean like search ads? Apple search. Yeah. Um, like the search ranking in the store, I think is, I had this incident happen where, um, Apple rolled out an update to Apple store and they weren't indexing the last character of the subtitle field. So it's like happy scale. And then at the time I had like, um, some, I had like predictive weight loss, uh, tracker. Ah, so tracker was now tracker. <laughs> yes, I found, yeah, exactly. It's exactly right. And I found out that about 44% of my downloads were coming from people searching for weight loss tracker or weight wow. tracker or something like that because it just fell overnight. And I was like, okay, apparently my business isn't as stable as I thought it was. What was the debugging process for that? Like, how did you figure out that that's what happened? Because I, I kind of doubt uh, at the time Apple put out a PR release, press release to say, just so you know, uh, the <laughs> subtitle is cutting off the last character of uh, all of our search indexes. So, you know, you might want to look into that. Is that a lot of like experimenting or how did you get there? I... The step one was panic <laughs> and step two Naturally. was, yes. Step two was reach out to any other indie developer I knew and say, I'm panicking. What's going on? Um, and then we eventually figured out that um, it was because I wasn't coming up for this search term. And so then I wrote a blog post about it and then um, I started tweeting about it and that got shared. And this really, um, really nice gentleman from the company app follow one of the ASO companies. Yeah. Yeah. He is actually really good at sleuthing everything that's changing with the app store algorithms. And he pieced it together. He's like, I looked at all the apps and I looked at the ones that had 30 characters in their, in their subtitle and they all match this pattern. And so I was deeply grateful for that. And I put out an update that, um, changed my subtitle back to just weight loss tracker. And then it, yep. it went right back. Wow. That's, <laughs> I mean, that underscores I, like people talk about ASO, like app store optimization all the time. And it sort right. of feels like this high level falutin thing that you do if you're a big company, but it's like, I think that underscores why it is so important. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Especially if you don't have the like experience or tooling to, to figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. your business can suddenly change because of a small tweak in how the app store works or Google works, you know, outside of just the app store, uh, same thing. And like, if you don't have a way of debugging that, uh, that can be a really big challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I developed a new found appreciation for, uh, the role that they play in the ecosystem when that happened. Yeah. Cause I, there is, I think a little bit of, uh, because it's associated with a bigger business 
mm-hmm. practice. Mm-hmm. I think it maybe gets a little bit of a, uh, a stink isn't the right word, but like it feels a little like, well, I'm not going to mess with, you know, this because you associate it with, uh, you know, the gym based games that are like doing A-B testing to try and hone in on extracting the most amount of money out of these like whale teenagers or whatever. Um, but that's, I mean, that is a thing that exists, but all those practices are not just for that. Right. Um, and they are definitely an important part of, if you want a stable business, um, even if you are living in sort of the high craftsmanship <laughs> indie scene. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I guess sort of on like a similar topic, one of the things that I've really enjoyed about following you since I've sort of jumped into the iOS scene is uh, you do a lot of like <laughs> you're like a real business. I know I'm putting that in quotes like it's not a real thing, but but I think a lot of people don't treat it as a real business kind of thing. And yeah. you Curtis is another one who yeah. uh, Curtis Herbert with slopes. He does this too. And I really appreciate like talking about things that I associate with my jobby job, which is a big business mm-hmm. and bringing that into the, the indie space. Um, and one of the areas where I think you've talked about it a lot. I know we've talked about it mm-hmm. before too, is, um, you, you do a B testing, um, mm-hmm. for trying out some new features to see what resonates better with people. And I'm, yeah. I'm really curious one, how you started doing that and how it's like helped you as you've sort of, um, grown happy scale. Mm-hmm. I only started A-B testing recently. Um, I, and the way that I did it was I had an old paywall screen and it just was designed by me and I don't always put a lot of time into my designs. And so I thought that that was probably an area of my business where I was underperforming. And just because I wanted to have things set up for the long run. Like I, I kind of knew that I had to get that solved at some point where yeah, I, it was just a better conversion process because, um, the way that I was showing the, the three different options for what to buy, I felt like it was giving people a lot of indecision about which one to choose. Right. And so I, um, I've been working with a designer and she's wonderful. And I kind of explained to her, like I, I want, I want an upgrade screen where I'm kind of showing people like, here are the three prices and like, there's a big discount if you choose yearly and just kind of help people with the indecision of facing that screen. And what I did was I ended up AB testing uh, the old upgrade screen versus the new upgrade screen. And I found that the new upgrade screen, it is, um, it's, converting a little better and it's also better at helping people get onto the yearly plan which is something that um i really like for my business and i think is also good for users because like it's it's a big discount over monthly so i i've been really happy to just kind of be able to make that informed decision and i'm about to start a new ab test my my designer she is wonderful and um i asked her like is there some way that we can make the paywall screen like more emotionally evocative you know because it's just walls of text (laughs) yeah yeah it's always hard to say i want to there's like a whole bunch of data you want to communicate and it's important because it's associated with a cost it's not like we'll just communicate this later, like a lot of things, but nobody really wants to read all that. And so how do you like design something like that? It it really is an art and a science, I guess. Yes. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so um, we noticed that other apps are using like illustrations and images on their paywall screen. And so she made this beautiful illustration where it's like, I think one of the, one of the use cases that I hear from users a lot is that they are preparing for a wedding or a graduation or something like that. Mm. And they know there are going to be these timeless photos taken and they are thinking about like how they want to look in these photos. And so they, they'll use an app like happy scale. And so we, we, my designer and I talked about this and she made this beautiful illustration where it's just like these three people standing at an event and like there's somebody with an iPhone taking a picture. It's and that communicates that story. Yeah, exactly. Um, while also communicating the like purpose. Exactly. Yes. And, um, and we're captioning it, uh, show up with confidence on the big day. And so I am, I'm really excited to see if, showing this illustration as part of just the wall of text of like, these are the features that you get is going to be helpful. So I'm about to start an AB test in just a few days when I kind of like break people into groups and see what happens when you do have the illustration and you don't. That's awesome. Yeah. I, there's definitely, um, in our sort of indie scene, uh, a, like we were talking about earlier, actually, where it's like an app with an opinion is, is seen as sort of the mecca, like it's one person's vision. But if you're trying to build something for humans, you want to like for a large amount of humans, you want to actually make it in a way or have some data to confirm that what you're thinking is true actually is true. Yeah. And for some things like the design or whatever, maybe it is better to like follow your specific vision versus following just do exactly what AB tests say everywhere. Yeah. But I think certain places, especially conversions, there's no possible way for a developer to look at probably any app, but definitely their app the same way that a user would. Like, I, I just don't, I don't think that's humanly possible because we're too, we're too in the weeds of understanding how this stuff works. Absolutely. And you know, they're, um, this is a tricky app to build because there are, a lot of mechanisms in society where if you are an overweight person going through the world, there are uh, these places where shame will pop up. And uh, so, for example, like I would go on airplanes and like I would be spilling over into the adjacent seats and I would feel really ashamed and embarrassed that like I was making people next to me uncomfortable. Yeah. Or you would go to the doctor's office and you like you'd be there because your wrist hurt. And as part of the appointment, they're bringing up your weight and like, what's your plan for that? And it was, it would just like, everybody has great intentions, but like, I, I feel as like somebody who's gone through the world as like an obese person for a long time there, you never know like what kind of um, illustration or imagery is going to trigger somebody and have them feel the shame. Yeah. And it is incredibly important to me to try to design the app to have as little shame as possible. Like, I don't like what, what is a way I can present this data without judgment, you know, stuff like that. And so designing the illustrations for the paywall was incredibly tricky because we had like all these ideas for what the illustration should be. Like we, like we were going to have like an illustration where like somebody was going to the doctor and the doctor was going to say like, good job. And we ended up like removing the illustration idea because like 
we thought, what if this is going to tie into somebody feeling like the shame of the doctor's office? And so, right. And that's something you'd only know if you've, if you've had that experience, like, yeah, 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 exactly. And, um, and I, I really want to, so I, I feel like that's an important part of why I may be testing this too, is like, I want to make sure like we we've done all we can to kind of make sure that this is like safe imagery to show people and that it's not going to make, it's going to help them think of like, being proud in the future instead of like something that they are not proud of in the past. And it's a very tricky thing to navigate. And I just kind of want to do the AB test to make sure that like the users are, you know, maybe indicating in, in the most, like, it's hard to read these, this data of like aggregate numbers and everything, but like, I'm we're trying to make sure that things are okay with the app after this. Yeah. It's, it's an area that you're, you're extra sensitive mm-hmm. and it sounds like, so this is, it's, it's like, you're not doing the thing that I think a lot of people accuse uh, big companies of doing, which is literally AB testing a thousand ideas and then just going with the one that tests the highest. Right. You're applying your, um, your very personal vision to it. Yeah. That strong filter of I've lived this experience. This is how I believe this will impact people. And then after that, you're adding another layer, which is the AB test of like, does this turn people off? Like that's not going to tell you all the, it wouldn't have caught all the same things that you caught, but if you see a huge drop, that's at least some sort of metric of like, right. Okay. This isn't resonating with people and maybe it's literally just money, but maybe it's, this is making people not feel good. And that's so important to you. It's like, you want to throw all your tools at this specific area. Yes. Um, and the A-B testing is another tool. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been tricky to kind of balance my own priorities and also like try to understand what it means to grow into being a business person and using those tools in like a good way. And I've really been inspired by people like Curtis Herber and Marco Arment who have talked a lot about like using, Marco's talked about using analytics and Curtis has talked about, you know, like a lot of a lot of like the business stuff that he does, like collecting emails and like, I, yeah, even collecting emails for apps feels like, Oh, you're going to collect emails, you know? And it's like, but it's like good business. It's good business to be able to be able to contact your users. So like, I really admire people who like I respect and can talk about how they're using these tools and like how they're using them. Yeah. I think not to get too hot takey here, but, uh, when you're, super indie like me where it's like this isn't a business right um i don't have the i have not been able to put the time or have been doing this long enough to do a lot of these higher level practices and so i think it's really easy for somebody in my position to be like i'm not collecting any analytics at all and like right look at how much better i am than this giant company who is collecting analytics Mm -hmm. i think it's a lot harder to look at to be building a business and to try and tackle these genuine problems that require things like collecting crash reports. Yeah. Uh, it's like, I'm just using Apple's crash reports cause I can get away with that. Right. I don't think I could get away with that if I was at a really big scale <laughs> right. scale. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and like, I think it's a lot harder to do what you guys are doing, which is you're still respecting users privacy and thinking very hard about, how do I collect the analytics in a way that's safe for people? How do I, if you're introducing advertising, how do I introduce advertising in a way like 
I don't know. I really respect that. Not only that you all are doing that, but that you guys talk about it because I think a lot of people will do it and won't talk about it because it's kind of embarrassing and feels wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, if, if, if people are going to need to do that anyway, it's really, really helpful to have uh, leaders and examples that are showing you a way that you can do it in a, not just privacy, but in a respectful way to, to users. So I, I've really appreciated watching you do all of this sort of businessy stuff because I think, I think it's a good example for people like me. Thank you so much, Charlie. I actually, I really struggle with whether I even want to talk about this stuff publicly or not. So it's, it's really validating to hear that. And I didn't even know that I was talking about these things as much as you've noticed. So, um, thank you. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) Um, I guess I am running as so good to know that I'm still, I still got it. I can run over on time. Um, but I do want to make sure I get to the last question I ask everybody. So what is a person or people out there that have inspired you that you'd recommend other people check out? If I start going, so inspiration is a big part of my life. (laughs) If I start going too long, then just play the Oscar music thing in post. Yeah. All right. (laughs) All right. I want to thank my mom and uh, my daughter's at home. You're supposed to be in bed, honey. All right. Uh, Apps that really nail design details is something that is catnip to me. So, oh yeah. uh, I, you, I know you feel the same way. So, uh, Daniel, uh, Gautier, who does Oh Bother oh. and Up Ahead, Kushagra Agar Wall, who does Cone and Unwind, are two of my favorite apps for just really nailing details. Cone and Unwind? I surely I know who this is, but I'm, I don't off the top of my head, which is making me, uh, want to start Googling right away, but I'll wait. Cone and Unwind. Unwind is a breathing exercise app and Oh yes. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. I have seen Unwind. That is and it has like really cool little animations that go with yes. the breathing. Yes. Yeah. It's an experience. Yes. The way that he brings the animations in is so thoughtful. Um, let's see. So I've talked about how um I've wanted to have this perfect narrative in my head and somebody who I really admire is Curtis Herbert because like with his slopes diary He's, he's kind of like talked about the entire journey, even when he was just starting. Yeah. And that is something that really helps me have another perspective on the fact that like you can be imperfect in public, you know? Um, let's see. Kaya Thomas. First of all, if, if you haven't heard her story, go back and listen to episode three because she made We Read Two. And it's one of the most inspiring stories I've heard about an indie app development, but I'm really inspired by the fact that she is, she just did a triathlon and now she's going back to MIT to get a graduate in engineering and an MBA. And I love that she is just pursuing these different dreams and refusing to be defined by what she's done in the past. That's, yeah, that's something that I'm working on myself is like trying to understand, like, how do I like go to the next step in life? And like, what is that going to look like? And, um, I have been thinking a lot about like, um, what a company would be that I, like, if I, I'm trying to decide right now, like I'm in a place where like my company is, um, 
good for me, but like, do I want to grow it to be a bigger company or do I want to stay small? And so I'm drawing a lot of inspiration from companies that I really admire, like uh, Rogue Amiga, Panic, Wild Bit, and Astro HQ. So, yeah. We had Matt on uh, not too long ago. It was a good interview. They just released uh, Luna for Windows, which was a big part of that story that he talked about. Uh, I guess it was earlier this spring. I I got like a little emotional when it released because it just felt like it was this huge, this huge thing that they were working towards for so long. Um, and seeing it actually realized was, uh, it must just be extraordinarily fulfilling. Yes, absolutely. And his his story is so good because there's so many setbacks and expectations of like I can count on I can count on this part of my business at least and yeah. and then everything changes overnight and it's so much like perseverance and just uh just sticking it out you know and like finding a way through like I I I love I love his story and I love what they're doing over there yeah that's that's a really good one all those are really good ones yeah is that is that your whole list? I don't want to cut yes. you off. Yes, it is. All right. <laughs> those were excellent, though. There's the hook coming from the side with like in pulling yeah, me no, off no, the no. Off stage. <laughs> this is the beauty of uh, uh, pre-recorded stuff: is you have all the time that you want. Um, That's right. It's just That's more right. content. That's what we need. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, um, I guess I'll go ahead and wrap this up. This was such an amazing uh, reintroduction into recording this, and. As much as I'll be devastated if this recording didn't work and something horrible happened and it failed, it was just fun getting to talk and hang out with you. Um, so thank you. Thank you for coming on. I feel exactly the same way. Thank you for having me, Charlie. So where can people find you and your work? Russ Shanahan on Twitter. And you can download my app, Happy Scale, in the App Store. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched FM. I'd really appreciate a rating or review in Apple podcasts, overcast breaker, or whatever your podcast of choice happens to be. And you can find show notes and more at launched FM.com. Mm-hmm.